0: Everybody, hear me okay? Hannah, can you hear me? Okay, the person least likely to listen to me can hear me, so we're good. Uh, but uh, tonight, we are continuing uh, in our summer series looking at the book of John uh, as normal or mostly that we do. Our summer series, for those that don't know, is based off of the lectureship. Uh, at the Southeast Institute of Biblical Studies, uh, one day I will say that without having to think really hard before I speak to not call it East Tennessee School of preaching, but that day's not today. Um, but it's based off their lectureship there, looking at the Book of John, and kind of a, a sub series within uh, this book is a series of lessons entitled "Encounters with Jesus," and we're talking about one of those tonight. We're talking about. The encounters with Jesus, we're talking about Jesus and Thomas tonight. When we think of the Apostle Thomas, what is more than likely the very first thing that comes to our mind? Doubting. I would venture to guess in my life I've heard him referred to as doubting Thomas more times than I've heard him referred to as simply Thomas. Um, And I probably shouldn't admit this, but I will. Uh, One of my First experiences that I can remember learning or hearing about Thomas as one of the apostles happened right up here on this front pew for the children's class. And, and it names all the apostles and it says doubting Thomas. And I always remember thinking as a kid, what a weird first name that doubting was. <laughs> because I have family in Baxter who a lot of their last name is Thomas, and as a kid I was much more familiar with Thomas as a last name. I thought doubting is just a really Um, And that's probably the first time I've admitted that, and I might not should have, but here we are. Um, John chapter 20, if you want to be turning with me in your Bibles, uh, we're not going to be doing a lot of flipping tonight, uh, other than maybe a verse or two, all of our our scripture tonight will come from right here in John chapter 20. And the the book focuses on verses 24 through 29, but I want to back up a little bit and actually start in verse 19. (laughs) So John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So they said, so he, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he had, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now getting into verse 24 that we're really going to focus on tonight. (laughs) Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now this is a story. This is where we get the name Doubting Thomas. He had his downs. Brother Wayne Rogers, who originally did this lecture at the lectureship, referred to a movie that's one of my favorites, but it's the movie Jerry Maguire. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with that movie, but Tom Cruise plays a sports agent and he's representing uh, Rod Tidwell, who's a receiver played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And they're working, trying to get that Mr. Tidwell a new contract and and his agent is telling him all these things he needs to do and how they're going to approach it. But Mr. Tidwell didn't care about that. Ron Tidwell just told him, show me the money. He didn't care what, he hired an agent to get him his money. Show me the money. That's all he wanted to worry about. That's all he's worried about. Show me the money. Uh, Some people point to maybe just the facts, ma'am. Uh, from uh, Sergeant Joe Friday on the original dragnet. That line is attributed to him, although I say it like that because we're going to come back to that in a second, but just the facts. Show me the money, just the facts. Here, in a sense, Thomas is not saying show me the money, but in a sense, he's saying show me the evidence. Uh, Verse 25 again, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. (laughs) Show me the evidence, is basically what Thomas has said here. You know, the worlds of science and academia, (laughs) they want evidence. They want (laughs) proof. They want to show that something is true and factual, and they want it. Uh, with some sort of proof, some sort of evidence. And maybe we most commonly attribute the term evidence to a court of law. And ideally in a court of law, evidence is presented. It's presented to a jury or a judge or whoever it may be that, that is the trier of fact in that case. And the evidence is presented, and ideally based on that evidence, whoever is making the decision in that case will will come to a conclusion as to what happened based on that evidence and make his or her judgment uh, whether somebody's guilty or not or to what degree or to what intent all based on the conclusions that they drew from that evidence. Unfortunately, we live in a world where evidence may not be as important to some people as it should be. Now it's still there, it's still factual, but regardless of what we're talking about, whether we're talking about things that are very important as religious matters or things that that matter nothing when it comes to pop culture or whatever it may be, some people have ideas in their minds, preconceived notions, and no matter what the evidence says, They're going to stick with those ideas in their minds and that preconceived notion. Uh, Wanting evidence and then believing and applying the evidence are kind of on two different levels. Now, if somebody has a strong opinion on something and some evidence shows up that goes along with their opinion, they're going to throw it at you all day. Look at this. But what if that evidence doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with what they think and say, what their stance is, or much less if that evidence is totally opposed to what they think or say, they're gonna completely ignore that evidence or at least try to discredit it for what it may be. And this can even be on matters that are simple and nominal and people will still argue uh, no matter what the evidence says. The illustration that Brother Rogers used that I alluded to a second ago, just the facts, ma'am, is a line that is often attributed to Sergeant Joe Friday in the original drag myth. Just the facts, man. Except he never said that. He said something very similar to that. He said all we want are the facts, but he never said just the facts. But through through radio programs and people misquoting it to other people, it got misconstrued and people will swear to you up and down. If you say, oh, he never said that, you go, yes, he did. And you can go show them the evidence, and they may or may not believe it. Now, I'll be completely honest. I'm familiar with Dragnet, but I haven't had a lot of arguments and conversations with people about Dragnet. Conversations and arguments I have had with people that I am more familiar with would be Star Wars. (laughs) Now, you go ask 10 random people on the street, what's the most famous movie line ever? One or two of them is probably going to attribute it to the Empire Strikes Back. Oh, when Darth Vader says, "Luke, I am your father," except he never says that in the movie. He says something similar. He says, "No, I am your father." But boy, when you tell people that, some people get upset. Well, I've seen the movie a hundred times. We'll go watch it hundred and one because it doesn't say that. Um, And you can show them the evidence. No, he actually says this. Well, TBS edited it some way. This is an actual conversation I've had. Um, (laughs) But regardless of the evidence, they're not going to believe it. Um, The last one I could think of when I was thinking, preparing for this lesson, uh, the song by the band Queen, We Are the Champions. People will swear to you up and down and believe it that the last line of that song says, we are the champions of the world. Except it doesn't. It ends with we are the champions. When they recorded it in the studio, that's how it ended. When it got put on an album, that's how it ended. When it played on a radio, that's how it ended. That's how people learned that song without those words in it. One live random concert, the lead singer of that band added those words at the end. And it was a televised thing so other people saw it and people will argue with you up and down that yes absolutely that's in that song when I hear it on the radio, when I hear it on an album. But it's not. And when you show them the evidence they still don't believe Well it got edited it got cut down or they'll chalk it up to the Mandela effect which I'm not going to go into the Mandela effect but if you're not familiar with it look it up. It's, it's fascinating. It's a little ridiculous uh, but it's fascinating. But i got a little sidetracked here, but the point is evidence. P- applying evidence to find the truth. Let's go back to Thomas here. The heart of the message um, of this, of, of Thomas's doubt here in John chapter 20. Uh, Brother Rogers, when he put this together, really broke it down, um, the heart of the message into three parts. And the first one is, that Thomas missed an opportunity. When Jesus first appeared to the other disciples, Thomas was not there. Now, we don't know where Thomas was. The Bible doesn't give us that information. He could have been discouraged and upset at the death of Jesus and and still mourning. He may have been fearful and doubting because of the Jews, because we read, that's why the rest of the disciples were in this room with the door shut for that very reason, But we don't know where Thomas was, but we know where he was not. He was not in the room with the rest of the apostles when Jesus appeared. Regardless of where he was, he missed a marvelous opportunity to be with the resurrected Lord and to experience what these other disciples experienced in this moment. That joy and that peace that Jesus' resurrection has ultimately Uh, been afforded to us all uh, through the gospel's power by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that would initially be felt by those apostles themselves that were there in that room. But Thomas wasn't with them. He missed an opportunity. So Thomas missed an opportunity. The second thing that's the heart of the message is that Thomas had his doubts and his conditions. We talked earlier doubting Thomas. He's been called Doubting Thomas more than he's been called Thomas, more than likely, um, at least in my lifetime. Brother Guy in Woods wrote this about Thomas. He said he is clearly cast in the scriptures as a gloomy man, slow to believe, and yet with a deep devotion for the Savior. The disciples, the other apostles told Thomas, we've seen the Lord and he didn't believe. He said, as we read in verse 25, basically, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Until I see his hands, until I see his side, I'm not going to believe it. He was slow to believe, but the conditions that he put on believing, what he said would cause him to believe Wasn't some big special, I need this and this and this so much more than everybody else to convince me. But Thomas basically just said, I have to see and experience what you all saw and experienced. It wasn't some huge thing that he had to do to be convinced, but he wanted to experience what they had. And he said, if he could experience that, then he would indeed believe that joy That they felt, the other disciples, and expressed to Thomas only came after they had seen Jesus and showed him, it showed them his hands and his feet. And an angle that I've never really thought of with this scripture, but when I was studying for this, it kind of stuck out to me. Back before we started reading, in verse 18, Mary Magdalene, who had seen Jesus first, told the disciples um she said she came and told the disciples that she had seen the lord and that he had spoken these things to her but we don't know what happened to the disciples what they felt between talking to her and actually seeing Jesus and if we notice when they do see Jesus um let's see here it's in verse 20 20, yes. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. When they had seen his hands and his side. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't afford us this opportunity. This probably classifies as an opinion, so I'll stand over here like Johnny Hall. But we've got to think at least... Some, maybe, maybe not, but I would think at least some of the disciples, the apostles, if not most of them, maybe after they had talked to Mary Magdalene, before they saw Jesus themselves, what were they feeling? Were they feeling any sort of doubt uh, or any sort of fear or anticipation or confusion or, or a mixture of all these we don't know but they very well could have been Now, thomas is the one that kind of gets singled out that we see because he was the one that wasn't there um but we don't know i would think that maybe they did maybe they had a little bit of doubt especially since it says after jesus had showed them his hands in his side then they were happy to see jesus Maybe they were very happy before that point, but it's interesting to think about. and it. something that I had honestly never thought about uh, till I started looking uh, into this. But the heart of the message Thomas missed an opportunity. Thomas had his doubts and his condition. Probably the most important heart of this message is that Jesus is the evidence. Verses 26 and 27 again. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Here is another opportunity where Jesus appears to them and Thomas is there. Again, opinion. I don't know, but it's wondering you think about. Thomas wanted to be wrong when he said, "I'm not going to believe it till I see it." He wanted to see it. I wonder how far he strayed away from the rest of the apostles over the next eight days out of fear that he might miss it again. But we know he's here this time. And after receiving the very evidence that he said, "If I see that, then I'll believe." After he saw Jesus' hands, touched the prints of the nails in Jesus' hand, and put his hand in his side, what was Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. Which may be the most appropriate response to anything we see anywhere. Thomas had his doubt. He didn't necessarily believe, but when he was presented the evidence, When he applied the evidence, he found the truth and was willing to admit that he had found the truth, although it didn't go with what he said initially. And he recognized exactly who Jesus was, my Lord and my God. And he recognized at that point that everything he had believed in up to that point in following Jesus had been true. There was a confirmation of that faith. By the inspired Word of God, by the Bible today, we are introduced to Jesus as a lot of things, as ways the Bible describes. Them. He's the Word. He's the Creator, Prophet, Messiah, Son of Man, Son of God, Lord God. Jesus truly is that same evidence today today. That he was back then to Thomas. We read the Bible and we look at Jesus' life. We look at Jesus' works. We look at Jesus' message. And when we look at all of that, that still withstands the scrutiny of investigation of those who will be honest with the evidence and what they read. You know, Jesus, the disciples believed when they were following Christ that there was a God. And then they believed that that Jesus was the Savior. They believed that because of him, that there was a heaven we were going to get to and that we were going to be forgiven of our sins. And in this evidence, Christ rising, like he said, he would, was the confirmation and the truth that they needed to be able to go out and, um, like we see them do. You know, when Jesus originally came to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And we'll get more into that here in just a second. But kind of some messages for us to take away from the story of Thomas. And the first one is Thomas missed an opportunity, like we said. We don't need to miss out on the opportunities that are afforded to us. Every single week, we have opportunities now to be in Bible classes, to be in worship services. Every single day, we have opportunities to pray. We have opportunities to study. We have opportunities to grow and to teach and to serve others. And I can't speak for anybody in here but me But I assume I'm not alone in this. Those opportunities we have, especially on a weekly basis, being around each other uh, and growing and teaching and edifying one another, for a vast majority of my life, I took for granted those opportunities we had until last year when we didn't have them. When we weren't able to meet for a while last year, sure, we were still together. We were all watching the same worship service on YouTube, we were still getting the same message, we were still doing it together in a sense in spirit, but something about being physically with one another, and being able to edify one another, and grow with one another, and hear other points of view in a Bible class, or whatever it may be, those are things that help us grow, and that's something we have opportunities to every single week. And I, I can honestly say until last year, that's something I probably took uh, took for granted. And uh, I appreciate them a lot more now than I did even then. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's the only scripture I have that's not in John 20. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the removing, renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Whatever it was that took Thomas away from the rest of the apostles, on that first Lord's Day when Jesus arose, he missed out on a tremendous opportunity to know the joy and the peace that the Lord's appearance there that day brought to the disciples on that occasion. There's commentary in this lectureship book from a gentleman named James Burton Kaufman, and his commentary states that absence from Christian worship quickly makes a believer into a posture of doubt and unbelief. Now, I know people, and I'm sure a lot of you do too, we know people that used to be faithful members of the Lord's church that aren't they? Maybe they still believe in God, but they're not faithfully serving Him. Maybe there's some that don't even believe anymore at all. But of those people you know, do you know anybody, because I don't, that just woke up one morning and went from faithful Christian to non-believer overnight? Probably not. I don't know of anyone. It usually doesn't happen overnight, but what happens is, Maybe they miss an opportunity to miss, they miss a service. Well, it's just one service. And then they kind of stop reading their Bible when they're home on their own. And then they, they, they stop praying on a daily basis. And then maybe they go to church the next Sunday, but they're not there Sunday night or Wednesday night or even the Sunday after. And eventually it becomes easier and easier and easier for them to not show up because they're missing those opportunities to grow. And when we're not growing, we're shrinking. Um So what we can take from the story of Thomas is that we need to not miss out on opportunities that are afforded to us. Now, there will be times we're, we're sick and we can't get out and make it. That's not what we're talking about. But if we're, we're able, we're, we're willing, we need to be here. Uh, and we need to spend that time at home. You know, it's great to show up here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. But we've got to do our part at home, too, in order to grow. We need to study our Bibles. We need to pray. We need to study with our families. There's a lot of opportunities each and every day beyond just just meeting with the saints every week. But we don't need to miss out on opportunities that are afforded to us. Secondly, we don't need to be afraid to ask for evidence. Thomas, while he doubted it, he asked for evidence. And he simply asked for the same evidence that had been shown to the other disciples. Again, he didn't ask for anything special. He didn't need anything extra that they got to convince him. He just wanted to see what they saw. And he wasn't afraid to say that. If I see that, until I see that, I'm not going to believe. But when I do, he simply asked for the same evidence that had been afforded to them. And it's this evidence that would be so emboldening to the apostles to stand before hostile and unbelieving crowds and preaching the gospel. Because everything that they had believed and been taught by Jesus had been confirmed by that evidence and at that point that's what emboldened them to go out and preach the gospel as they were told to do another excerpt that i want to read that brother kaufman's commentary stated this was the sacred fountain that supplied the evangelistic zeal of the apostles the certainties established in these scenes enabled them to stand before the whole world shouting the message of redemption in christ The conviction made final and permanent by these events sustained them in the fires of persecution and death. The Galilean had triumphed. If the facts here related did not occur, then what did happen? Skepticism has no answer. For nearly two millennia, the wisest and best have received this narrative as sacred gospel. The record here is the truth, and it shall stand forever. So we don't need to be afraid to ask for evidence, but again, most importantly, what we need to do when we get that evidence is we need to be honest with that evidence. The evidence that that Thomas was given that the other apostles received is what solidified their faith in Jesus as the very Son of God, and they ran forth preaching the gospel with conviction and with power. When evidence is presented, those facts have to be measured and weighed and then a conclusion drawn and that conclusion at that point is presented as truthful and trustworthy. The apostles preached a faith that they knew for a fact because of the evidence was worth losing one's life to receive and proclaim. It wasn't easy for them going out into the world hostile prayer gave up their lives for something they knew to be true because they applied the sentence. There was a line in this that said, no man wants to die for a lie. And I think that's that's pretty true. If we don't believe in something, we're definitely not willing to die for it. And, and we're probably not even going to put our time into it. But the apostles believed what they had saw. Thomas and the rest of the apostles. Uh, believed what they had saw from this evidence that was presented to them. Jude reminds us in Jude 3 to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. A convicted faith delivered from above and preached and lived by the apostles and the first century Christians is one that's worthy of our imitation today uh, in 2021. We need to examine and check the evidence that we can find right here in our Bibles. We're we're lucky enough to live in a part of the world where several of us probably have several Bibles sitting around. A lot of us have it in our pocket every waking moment of every day on our cell phones. The evidence is readily available for each and every one of us at all times. Um, We need to examine. We need to check that evidence. Jesus had nothing to hide. Everything we need to know uh, is right there in the Bible. And we need to find in him the way, the truth, um, and the life. And I will wrap that up there. Anybody have any comments anything before we wrap up? All right. Well, thank you guys very much for your attention.